Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Stub Me Down. My name is JW. I'm here with my best friend who is going to be getting married soon, and I will be officiating that ceremony. Skinny, say hello to the people. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> I don't know if that oh my god is because I am the high priest or because he's getting married. We'll just go with choice B. Anyway, so we are here. This is episode six of Stub Me Down. Skinny is going to be stubbing me down on a show, which is going to be awesome. If you did not have the opportunity to check out episode five, I would highly recommend you do so. We had an awesome episode where we brought in a great friend of ours, Billy, who came to tell us about a show, Billy Stubbed Skinny and I Down, on a fish show from March 1st of 2003. It was the last night of the very brief winter tour that Fish had played down at the Greensboro Coliseum. Great show, great Piper, 2001. There's a whole bunch of great music from that, aside from the character Zero, that you should go and check out if you have not listened to that show. One of the finer shows of Fish 2.0, if you keep track of things like that. I thought he provided some great insight uh, to that show. He also didn't talk about my question, which is I asked him, what did he think about Fishman in the pocket? And he started talking about Kuroda. So, you know, we lost that one, but I thought we did a pretty good job with that, considering it was our first guest. J-Dub, what did you think? It was a great conversation. It was a great show. Greensboro Coliseum show from March 1st, 2003 was a lot of fun to be at. And so to relive that with Billy and you was, was awesome. And to try our legs on having a guest was equally awesome. And I think Billy was a great guest to get us started off with. Enjoyable to, to talk to him and catch up with him too, since we haven't really been able to see any shows. So I thought episode five was great. I think Billy did answer the question. Your question to him was, is John Fishman an underrated member of the band? To which I think Billy said, no, he's not an underrated member of the band. He's totally underrated. But he did say that Chris Kuroda is an underrated member of the band. Hence the Kuroda is, Fishman isn't title of episode five. Okay, so he's not. But hey, episode five was a lot of fun. I mean, to bring in a friend to talk about a show that we were all at and raged at and had a great time. If, if we can figure out how to do that again, I'm into it. I'm into it too. The great thing is now after we did the guest, I am the one that's pulling the stub. So I'm pretty excited about that because you might not be at this show. <laughs> this was a good one. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm excited for today's conversation. Skinny, you probably watched last night, Dinner in a Movie. Somebody out there must be paying attention to what's happening on Stub Me Down because Dinner and a Movie featured a show that was on episode two of Stub Me Down, that 8-12-2015 man show with the five-song second set. Very good show. Go back and listen to episode two. Don't listen to episode two. Go back and listen to the show. Whatever you want to do. But it's funny how these things tend to kind of come full circle. And maybe somebody out there is listening to a couple of guys talking about shows and decided that one might be a good one to play. J-Dob, do you have anything you want to touch on before we uh, do this thing? You're about to stub me down, man. Or wait, 
Am I stubbing you down? What's going on here? I'm stubbing you down. I'm a moron. A year ago, yesterday, we were in the lot at Merriweather waiting to go to a show. And we had seen one the night before. And we had a couple more coming up. This, what we do, is an escape. And it's for fun. And it's not serious. Um, It's important to us as people, but in the grand scheme of things, and when compared to what other people have to deal with on a daily basis, we're very, very fortunate. You look at these Black Lives Matter protests, you look at the coronavirus and all of these things that we are dealing with right now, and going to shows would have been our escape from that, our opportunity to take a step away from those things. And we don't have that right now. I think that that, that's hard for a lot of people, not having that outlet and being bombarded with these things and seeing how people are responding. So it is a very conflicted time. Obviously, Black Lives Matter immensely. And it's bigger than just the word matter. And for us, uh, music and musicians and their the contribution of everybody that is put into the pool of music, none of us would be here listening to the music we listen to without innovators in the 1930s and 1940s. And black music gave us the Grateful Dead and it gave us fish. I don't want to get on a soapbox and say anything, but I thought that it would be important, especially considering what we're doing to, to touch on that. Uh, man, I love that you threw that out there, brother. That's what we're supposed to do. I'll tell you this. You're a school teacher too. I'm a school teacher. We've worked in special education in Baltimore city. And there's an old Depeche mode song. People are people, you know, human beings are human beings. And I, I think it's important that we recognize, especially on this show or whatever platform we have, is that Black lives do matter. Their strife is something that can't be ignored. And it's a it's a terrible time, but it's also a time that I think maybe everybody's going to get their shit together at some point. You know, as a white person that has the ability to, like, go to shows and talk about them with you and uh, do the things that we do together with our families and our friends. We're very, very lucky. And so, yeah, I'm not political either, man. This show is just about having a good time. And but I, I feel like you, Josh, I think we needed to say something about people, especially people are on the margins or people that aren't recognized. And uh, we can't have this anymore. You know, we, we, we need to move forward as a country. So thanks for saying it. It's so complex and it's so deep-rooted and it's not going to be an easy fix. We can't always 100% of the time be in a bubble. And with that, we can return to the Stub Me Down bubble. (laughs) We are moving on. Episode 6 of Stub Me Down is going to feature a show from the Wayback Machine. Skinny's going to stub me down on a show that uh, I was still in grade school. Grammar school? Elementary school? I don't know. I don't know what grade that was, but it was a long time ago for me. He was a much younger man as well, but still an adult. And uh, so we're pretty excited about that. I don't know if I was necessarily an adult, but I'm excited for this too. I mean, shit, dude, I was just out of high school. It's not like I was that great. (laughs) It's like working in a restaurant. You graduated high school in 1989, 1990? In 1989. 
I should have graduated in 88, but I was a stupid ass and got held back a grade. <laughs> that sounds like a story for a future episode. <laughs> Nonetheless, I will, I will take that this was a recently out of high school opportunity for a Baltimore City kid to get out of the city. I was a lot older than you, and I was able to go see concerts after I graduated high school, so I'm sorry that I'm ahead of you. I am really excited to get stubbed down. The ball is in your court, my friend. We're going we're gonna to take a trip based on your concert ticket. So it's the premise of Stub Me Down is that Christian and I, we've been friends for 20 years. We have seen hundreds of concerts together. We've seen a whole bunch of concerts not with each other. But over the course of that time, we have amassed mounds and mounds of ticket stubs. And we thought it would be fun to randomly pull those ticket stubs and to discuss that show talk about the music, talk about the events, where we were in our lives, and use those shows as a jumping-off point to have a a greater conversation that encompasses our 20-year friendship. Obviously, we will go outside the bounds of formal knowing each other with some of these concerts, as might be the case uh, from time to time, but Skinny is going to stub me down, and I'm super excited. All right, J-Dobbs, you ready for me to stub you down? Yeah, buddy, I'm stoked. Let's do it. All right, so, 30th year, in about, like, a couple weeks. 7-6-90, Grateful Dead, Louisville, Kentucky. Really good show. We're getting in the way back machine for this one, huh, buddy? Yeah, well, I'm about to turn 50. I'm not even the way back machine. So the way back machines are in their 60s. Dude, they saw Barton all. <laughs> so, but I did get a good run from 87 to 95. And I, I, I saw a lot, a lot of good shows. And I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this one. So I'm stubbing you down. 7-6-90. Great show. First of all, 7690 is the Wayback Machine. It was 30 years ago. I'm sorry, that qualifies as the Wayback Machine. It was more than half your life ago. That is true. I was a, a young lad of 13 years in the summer of 1990. I don't even think I was in high school yet, bro. What were you, painting graffiti on the side of a bridge or whatever? <laughs> what were you doing? I was probably doing sailing lessons and hanging out at the beach, man. Kissing your first girl? <laughs> probably not even, bro. It's funny because my, as, as we have talked about before and will talk about again, I never saw The Grateful Dead. When we have discussions about Grateful Dead, for me, the bulk of my Grateful Dead enjoyment and knowledge goes to the 70s. You know, that was a very fruitful decade. The beginning of the 70s, you got Europe 72, 74, great year, 77, 78. I mean, phenomenal. I agree. When this show was pulled and you told me we're going to do this show, I was like, all right, you know, I don't know too much about the about anything from 1990. I couldn't pull a show and be like, oh, this was a great show in 1990. So when I went back and listened to it, I was really blown away. So really what I want to start off with, because I am I don't have the Grateful Dead experience, tell me a little bit about where did you get on the bus for this particular run after three years of seeing the Grateful Dead by summer of 1990? You're an amazing questioner. 
<laughs> I don't know what to say to you. Here's what was going on in summer of 90. So I was working as a busboy. I had been seeing the dead for a couple of years now. And I had friends from high school and people that we tooled around with in, you know, Towson, Baltimore, whatever. We stayed friends. They all came back from college and they were saying, let's go on summer tour and let's at least hit two shows. So we went to Louisville and then we drove back and went to Pittsburgh afterwards, which was two nights later, which is also a great show. Uh, but hopefully that gets pulled later. And then I went to RFK. Some other people went to Buffalo. There was a bunch of other shows. Raleigh was another crazy show. Uh, the show in Louisville was pretty cool because they started coming back east. And now the train was really following the Grateful Dead. You just don't give a fuck. You're going to tell your parents what you're doing. <laughs> and you're working anyway, so who gives a shit? And that's kind of what you did. So I went with a bunch of friends we had a huge white Dodge, terrible van. I remember being in the back of that van, like chilling was like 95 degrees, even on the way there. It was just a great time. And it was a, it was, it was an experience that I had in my late teens, early twenties that you can't replicate anymore. Now that I'm almost 50, I remember that time, like traveling to see them, and it was important. When you think something's important when you're 19, it probably doesn't fly when you're 35, but who gives a shit? I got to see one of the greatest bands in the world, and it was totally worth it. You make a good point doing something when you're 19, 20, and then doing that same something when you're an adult with responsibilities. I did have a pang of nostalgia to my younger days when, you know, you said this was the important thing to do that summer. So going in and seeing a couple of shows, being on tour, being with friends, being out from under the thumb, those are all things that we all we all eventually have but then don't have any more because of the way the progression of life is so you ready to take a look at the set you want to take a look at what they played that night yeah i want to look at the set that's like isn't that what we're here for on stub me down episode six we are talking about the grateful dead playing at cardinal stadium in louisville kentucky on july 6th 1990 christian is stubbing me down so we're going to go ahead and take a look at the first set they opened the show with hell in a bucket sugary Easy to Love You, great Brent tune. Peggy O, Desolation Row, West LA Fade Away, Picasso Moon, Ramble on Rose, and they close out the first set with a Music Never Stop. This first set was super in my wheelhouse, and I know there's a song on here that you might not necessarily care for, but Hell in a Bucket, Peggy O, Desolation Row, West LA, for me, I really liked everything in this. This was a very, very great first set. Reaction on the first set before I talk about a couple of specific things I've got. You're seeing them from the late 80s to the early and then mid 90s. If you're talking about like fish, like fish 3.0, whatever, you're seeing a lot of the same things. Uh, I will tell you like a hell in a bucket opener is like a great open anyway. You can say what you want about Bobby, but Bobby will push that song to its limits right out of the gate everybody's gonna just be like oh this is a great first set the sugary is really good too and that it lasts a while jerry starts to fiddle around a little bit but he ends well he doesn't lose any lyrics there 
Be Easy to Love You was a song that I was not really familiar with at the time. I'm a more of a Peggy O, so I was glad when Easy to Love You was done. The first thing that struck me as I listened to this show, there were two things that really hit me. One was Jerry's voice. He sounded great. Weathered, but not sick. There were flashes of the voice I listened to in all those 70s shows that I've heard. So that was the first thing, was how Jerry sounded. The second thing was how soulful this particular show struck me, especially in the first set. The sugary was very deep. It just felt so pure and honest. Same with the easy to love you, the Peggy O, Desolation Row, the West LA. And so as far as when I first started listening to the Grateful Dead, songs like Hell in a Bucket, West LA, those were songs that wow, I just love listening to over and over and over again. So this show, and then you've got a, a music never stop that closes the set. This show had a lot of components to the Grateful Dead catalog that I really enjoyed. Comparing that you started seeing Jerry in 87, 295, and this is 1990, he's somewhat healthy. How were you feeling about where Jerry was in your grand scheme? In 87, maybe I wasn't as hooked, but I mean, a summer tour like this will definitely get you hooked, especially these first two shows on the east of the Mississippi River that I started to be like even more and more hooked. So then it was a challenge. Now it's like, I have to go forward. I have to keep seeing this guy. My impression of him in 90 was I was, I loved it. I mean, if he kicked his shoe like five inches off the ground when he hit like a riff, everybody would like go fucking mad. You know what I mean? And in 87, I didn't, I didn't see that as much, but I know other fans did. But when I saw him, and then by this time, I was probably like 15 to 20 shows in. So I, I felt like, I kind of knew him. There's another, we'll talk about top 10 shows of all time. Apparently you already have your top three. <laughs> I, I really felt that he just like tripped this wire for me. I was gonna follow him no matter what. At the time I was working like in the restaurant industry, I just didn't, I didn't give a fuck. If there was a chance to see him, uh, meaning Grateful Dead, Jerry Garcia Band, wherever, I was gonna see him. They have a way of pulling us in and... It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I, even at my age, I still don't understand why I'm so locked in to certain aspects of whether it's the music, the person, uh, the construction, whatever it may be. Uh, yeah, I'm totally locked in. Easy to love you, Brent Toon third spot of the first set. This question is more about Brent the musician than the particular song. I do very much enjoy Brent as one of the numerous keyboard players that the Grateful Dead had over the years. This was his last tour as the keyboardist of the Grateful Dead. Unfortunately, he passed away. Uh, I had some friends that were at Raleigh. I didn't go to Raleigh. They saw him come out. You know, they swear to God he looked like shit. And it's been quite noted that he was in a bad place. Obviously he was because after summer tour, he lost his life. 
you saw the first, this was your first Grateful Dead keyboardist. In retrospect, do you look at Brent a little bit differently because of that? Or is he just the guy that replaced Keith and Keith's the guy that replaced Pigpen? And... I, I mean, I'll say this. I felt like when we were on this tour, especially, uh, we were cracking on him a little too hard. So I remember, I don't like Easy to Love You, but I was a kid, you know? Again, I was 19, so I was like shitting on stuff that I had no idea about. Because if you go back now to, and listen to the Desolation, the West LA, the music, and you hear what he's doing in the keys, it's right on point with what Jerry wanted. And he had been with them at that point for 10 years, playing with Bobby and the Midnights, they signed him on after Keith died, he's he's really good. And I think there was a lot of times where we just thought maybe it was like cheesy, but I, that's like so ignorant now. Now what I know is a lot different than what I was hearing. Now when I listen to it, I'm like, Jesus Christ. The guy was so talented and Jerry really loved him and he liked the interplay. It's the same thing any other band I watch for that keyboard guitar interplay and Jerry did it so well with so many different keyboardists and Brent was one of those guys. So I think it was really ignorant of me, but also I was 19 and stupid. Were you guys on the field? Were you in the seats? Where were you in the stadium? We had gotten onto the field. I was ninth row in front of Phil. Interestingly enough, as we walked in, I saw Chef Ra. And if people aren't familiar with Chef Ra, Chef Ra was a, a marijuana chef from High Times that we used to read that. And he was pretty huge. I mean, he's like 6'5", like towers over me, huge dreads. And as we were going onto the floor, I was like, oh my God, Chef Ra. And he's like, yo, what's up, man? Totally cool, like a, a deadhead. We went down up into the front and kind of sneaked our way, as fans do, uh, and got to the front. And it was really about like nine to 10 rows in front of Phil. It was so hot that day. It was just ridiculously hot. The sun was in the sky for like, 36 hours, it was crazy. And we always talk about the weather. I know Billy talked about the weather last episode. It was raining. Well, it wasn't raining in Louisville. <laughs> I'll tell you what it was doing. It was sweating in Louisville. So we, they had these showers in the back of the venue. I guess it'd be like on the 15 to 20 yard line going back towards whatever end zone. There were showers with just like, people would walk in there and they get like showered off for like two minutes just to get rid of the heat. And I, I will not forget this. In the second set, and I'm talking like deep into the second set, the sun still had not set. <laughs> so I, I'm like, the show ended at like 2.30 in the morning, but it didn't. The desolation row I felt like in that first set was the highlight. Now, you're talking about a Bob Dylan tune, and you can say whatever you want again about Bobby, but Desolation Row, if you want to go back, and we always talk about this, J-Dubs, re-listenability. That Desolation Row, if you want to hear a really good Desolation Row by the Grateful Dead, listen to that one. It's super good. I love West LA. It's super funky. It just reminded me of a place that I wanted to go that I was never at. Uh, until I was like later. I never went to LA, I'd never been there. And it just reminded me of LA. I don't even know how that works. Uh, I can forget Picasso Moon, 
Uh, Ramble on Rose is good too, but the music was amazing. Certainly a music never stopped is going to be a nice groove for everybody to go into separate on. That's a chaser, by the way, J-Dub. We talk about like things you're chasing, like a music never stopped to end the set. I don't give a shit if you're a, a 70s, 60s, 80s deadhead. You're definitely going to chase a music to end the set. And when a music ends the set and Phil comes out and goes, bo, 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 it's, it's all over. That's one of the best set closers. I love a cold rain and snow as an open. A music never stopped as a, a set closer is like the opposite of character zero. <laughs> I would agree as far as the music never stopped being a great set closer. I mean, I'll take one anywhere they want to drop it in the set, but if it comes at the end of a set, that's going to be a great way to wrap up either a first or a second. The pace was still a little bit set back than it might have been at a 1970s show for me. So as I'm listening to it, I'm thinking soulful, more purposeful intent in how they were playing some of these songs, at least for me. But that set was just really good. I, I, I'll never forget being there, being in front of Phil and seeing a lot of Phil stuff. Uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, top to bottom, I felt that was good. I could have cut out the Easy to Love You and the Picasso Moon, but I would say from the beginning to the end of the set, there's just a great start, so many highlights in the middle, and then it just ends great. It goes back to re-listenability, and when I first heard this show, I thought, wow, this was a really, really nice dead show. Now, it's not a straight fire, everything was raging type of show. However, you describing the band might have been playing a little bit to the scene. Um, let me review quickly the first set. They opened up with Hell in a Bucket, Sugary, Easy to Love You, Peggy O, Desolation Row, West LA Fadeaway, Picasso Moon, Ramble on Rose, and a set closing music never stopped. Can I say one more thing? Don't sleep on that desolation. Bob Dylan is not for everyone. You'll figure it out. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Do the second set. Bob Dylan's got a couple of good tunes. So the second set for your Grateful Dead from July 6, 1990 that Skinny Stubbed Me Down on started with the China Cat, Sunflower, into I Know You Rider, followed with a Man Smart, Woman Smarter, Standing on the Moon, He's Gone, which had a really nice jam into drums, into trucking, Wharf Rat, Going Down the Road, Feeling Bad, and they closed out the second set with Around and Around, and the encore was Baby Blue. A China Cat rider to start a set feels like what maybe a cold rain feels like for you. Put that somewhere to get everybody started. I'm going to be pretty happy about that. That China Cat rider is a China rider. It's, it was a pretty staple standard song to start off the set. Whether that one was good, I thought it was like a very good version of it. Uh, you're always gonna have people say like, ah, wasn't that great? Or that's, it's not as good as like 76 or whatever it was. I'm not into ranking uh, a China rider to, to start off any Grateful Dead set. You're, you're gonna hear that a lot, especially around that time. Uh, they were appealing to more fans. So you're gonna hear a China rider like right off the bat. Probably more shows than you think that you're gonna hear it. I always like a China rider. I have a friend of mine, Bradley, if you're out there. He, 
He's like, I always see that. <laughs> like, but it's good. It's good. Showing a rider for him as your second set down with the Z's open. I think at some points where when you're talking about music like we're doing, I like to make fun of what we hear rather than say it wasn't as good as this one. I really, again, feel like this second set continued that soulful pace and song selection and the way it was sung by both Bobby and Jerry, specifically the Standing on the Moon. Standing on the Moon, arguably one of my favorite Grateful Dead ballads. The imagery for me is what strikes me and you, you may or may not recall but when Megan and I got married we had on our memory table the quote standing on the moon such a lovely view standing on the moon but I'd rather be with you I listened to this show those lyrics the way Jerry sounded I see the battle rage below. It's hard not to think about where we are now. I see the soldiers come and go. There's a metal flag beside me, someone planted long ago. Old glory standing stiffly, crimson, white, and indigo, indigo. And those lyrics just play on repeat sometimes in my head. You get this cosmic view and this is in 1990, and the symmetry of it really struck me when I listened to this. And so that standing on the moon was a very impactful part of this set. But I know that you really enjoyed the man smart, woman smarter. And I want you to talk about that. But then I want you to talk about the he's gone jam. All right, well, so what do you want to talk about? <laughs> Women are smarter standing on the moon or, or he's gone? Like, you know, make up your fucking mind. All right, so <laughs> here's what I'm going to say to you. The standing on the moon, it's its funny that you said that because Jerry is very soulful during that song. Like a sugary or even the Peggy O. You hear that stuff, the Ramble on Rose. You hear him. Uh, that was one of the greatest parts about him. Uh, the standing on the moon, I'd rather be with you. And he sings it so soulfully, I'm not even gonna try to attempt it. I can understand why people like that song, but then there was also, during that time, people were like, I don't like it. You know, it's too slow, it doesn't carry, they just play the women are smarter. I mean, I heard all those complaints. And maybe, at some point, I made some of those as well. I, I mean, I'm sure I, I did. Again, ignorance is bliss. The Women Are Smarter is just fun because that's Brent again. You were asking me about Brent in that summer of 90. And I felt like his vocals back up to Jerry. And you could see it on stage because I was pretty close for a bunch of those shows. Jerry loved him, man. He loved him. I mean, you could see it. And Brent played off of that. It's just a fun song. It's an Ico Ico, Women Are Smarter. If there's a chick around you that likes you, kind of, then maybe she likes you because you're saying it, but that didn't happen to me. If you're going to talk about a He's Gone jam, let's go back to that. So. If you catch a He's Gone, and then you get a He's Gone and a Wharf Rat, I mean, that's like a, you don't see that much. I could be wrong. Sorry, deadheads. A He's Gone and a, and a Wharf Rat, they're going to touch you right in the middle of your heart. 
the progression of songs, the set list construction, and the way Jerry sounded struck me as this heartfelt journey. And the He's Gone was very good, but the jam after that was probably the most fire part of this show. I think that Jerry's ability to play guitar, he was able to tell stories with his songs. And the rest of the Grateful Dead, I think it's denoted that they were able to tell a story with each set. I'm pretty sure that was Phil. I might be wrong. I, I, I guarantee you that what you're driving at is something that I already knew in the crowd. So when you're in the crowd and you're listening to those things come over and over again to you, yeah, you're feeling that, you're wanting that, and then sometimes they don't always provide which I always thought was funny about them because they had a comic side to them where if they thought it was driving one way, they would just go another. And I, you know, I think some of our favorite bands do that. And I, I think Jerry probably in this two sets was driving home something. Sometimes maybe they wouldn't drive it home, they'd go somewhere else, but they definitely drove it home here. And the Warfrat continues that soulful storytelling listening back to those segments of music and i don't know if this is one that has been on your regular shuffle or how long ago it was that you even listened to this show before you pulled the stub and hearing it again does it match up with what you remember from that time or has age maybe seasoned you a little bit to think about the music that you're hearing in a different way because you're listening to it 30 years after the first time you heard it no because I'll say immediately now, because the line from he's gone, and nothing's gonna bring him back, he's gone. So that part for me, I saw it, he's gone, I've moved on, I have a different life. Now, however that meets the perspective of your music, like seeing or listening or whatever you're doing, but I always felt like maybe at the time, I felt like Jerry wouldn't be around because we were hearing stories about him not being healthy. Um, but I don't know if I really thought about it that way because I was 19, 20, 21, you know what I mean? But when you're in the moment, like sometimes you just hear these lines when you're at a show and it speaks to you somehow. I just don't know what the somehow is. That that segment of music, as I said, I really like the first set, the second set, that standing on the moon, he's gone into drums. Then they did the truck in, the seg from uh, the drums, out of the drums, into jam, into trucking. Really smooth. The wharf rat kind of brought it back down into that meaningful feeling, going down the road feeling bad, around and around. I mean, I feel like the story kind of writes itself. You know, you fill in a couple words in between and it's all over now, baby blue. I don't disagree with you. I think there was a story that was told. You know, you got drum space. It is a seamless transition into that trucking, which I have a story about. It tells another story. It drops back into that wharf rats. I'm telling you, like two nights later too, it was like unbelievable second set. As a fan of music, you chase these sets. And I, I, I really feel like we're getting onto something here too. We're, we've talked about sets. What were they doing? Why did you notice them? How important was it to you? you? Why do they do what they do? Now, we're never gonna figure it out. I really believe that entire set, top to bottom, tells a story. Well, it was something that really struck me from the first time I listened through. This show I have 
added to my favorites, obviously because it's an episode of our podcast, but a great window into what the Grateful Dead were in 89, 90. I really enjoyed reviewing this show. I'm just going to quickly run down the set. The second set here from the Grateful Dead, July 6, 1990 in Louisville, Kentucky. They opened the second set with the China Cat Rider. Man smart, woman smarter. Standing on the moon, he's gone. Drums, space, truckin', wharf rat, going down the road, feeling bad, around and around, closed out the second set, and then they encored with Baby Blue. Oh, that Baby Blue. As we're in Cardinal Stadium, like I'm Phil's side, like ninth row, it's awesome. Fireworks just start going off during it. And now Jerry doesn't sound super great during that, but he sounds pretty damn good. It's just a great encore, Baby Blue. I think I only saw it maybe one or two other times besides this Louisville show. It's just so beautiful. And you were talking about telling a story. For me, that told the story of the whole show. Like as hot as it was and as miserable as I was for like the first couple hours until I stole some guy's water jug and drank half of it. He was like, dude, what'd you do with my water jug? I was like, I drank it. When that baby blue came on and those fireworks are gone off, like that was a Grateful Dead show to me. So and maybe it wasn't the best version of it, but on that day when I was listening to it live, it was the best version. Plus, we had fireworks. Your favorite show was the one you were at. Correct, which I love when you say that, but I do have indelible memories of what occurred at those shows, and I think kind of that's where we're going. It's impactful music, not just the music, but it's how it makes you feel, it's how it makes you feel at the time, and it's how it makes you feel over time. I think that that's one of the things we can take away from this particular show. Definitely, I will, and I certainly can't talk about how I felt at the time because I was 13 during the summer of 1990. Being able to remember that show and then listen to it from a different perspective in your life, find those parallels, feel the feeling that maybe you forgot, and be able to reflect back on what you've done and what you've seen that's why you keep coming back in the summer they had this amazing like tapestries and grateful dead shit everywhere and screens you know the grateful dead was very nuanced at this point they were trying to do things that were different than i don't know like metallica they had a huge giant skeleton that was like 30 feet tall and during the trucking it was supposed to come out and kind of dance around the arm got caught between the leg <laughs> in the middle of the trucking, and then the arm fell off, and then that was the end of it. Their production value was like a huge effort. So it, what I find funny is that you saw a story in the set, and then the dead tried to put a story on their stage production, and it just failed. But nobody really cared. I mean. It was funny to see. I hope that somebody listens to this and says like, I remember that shit. <laughs> the arm of the thing was like 20 feet long, dropped off like right into the crowd. There's gotta be a picture somewhere. Hilarious, I'm not kidding you. If you were there, you know what I'm fucking talking about. Fucking hilarious. All right, J-Dubs, what else do we got here? Are we done with this? I think so. All right, man, well, why don't you take us out? Cause. I apparently can't. This was awesome, man. Hey, I thank you so much for stubbing me down on the Grateful Dead July 6, 1990 in Louisville, Kentucky. 
at Cardinal Stadium. What a great show to check out. This is definitely one to go back, take a look at. You will definitely enjoy listening to this show, Grateful Dead, July 6, 1990. Hey, if you want to check us out on Twitter, we are at stub underscore me underscore down. And we are also on Instagram at the same address, stub underscore me underscore down. Check us out. We will keep you informed about new episode drops and give us some uh, comments. If you have something to say, you were at any of these shows you want to add, go ahead and post it. We are glad that you were able to join us for a great show. Skinny, thanks for stubbing me down. And we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the path. I ain't afraid. I ain't afraid.